Welcome back to Sideline Exposure. I am your host, Mitchell Crossan, and this is Exposure 115. We find ourselves back in the Big Ten, talking about Penn State University, the Nittany Lions, and we're really trying to figure out who Penn State really is. And what we know now is it feels like Penn State is one tier below Ohio State. And if you're in the Big Ten, obviously the path to the playoff and the path to the Big Ten championship is through the Buckeyes, and they're really in the tier by themselves. They are essentially an SEC team outside of the SEC. But Penn State is a very interesting program in itself. They've beaten the Buckeyes in 2016. They pulled in that Big Ten championship. They're only one thus far in the James Franklin era. But in this episode, we want to give you some info on James Franklin, give you a little bit of his background and how he got to Penn State. We're going to look at their 2021 performance, look at that season, And then look ahead because they got a five-star quarterback out of Ohio with Drew Aller. He's a big guy. He's a big-time get for Penn State. And so let's see if they can build off that momentum. So to start things off, Penn State does claim two national championships that came in 1982 and 1986. And they also claim four Big Ten championships, the most recent coming in 2016. They beat Ohio State that year in the regular season, which won them their division. That was the whiteout game, big-time game. And I think that was the game where they blocked the field goal, returned it for a touchdown. That was essentially the nail in the coffin, if you will. And that felt like James Franklin's we're here, we're here to stay kind of party. And it hasn't always been fantastic for them since then. You can look at their battles with Ohio State in the seasons after that. And it feels like Ohio State and Penn State always have great games. But after the 2016 win for Penn State, The 2017 matchup and the 2018 matchup were both come from behind wins for Ohio State in the fourth quarter, winning each matchup by one point. So in that three-year span, Penn State, you took the win in 2016, you lost by one in 2017, you lost by one in 2018. The last couple years hasn't been great for them. It hasn't been awful. They did have a weird COVID year going four and five, but that was a weird year for a lot of people. That was a weird year for Michigan as well, and look how well they did last year, beating Ohio State, winning the Big Ten, and making the college football playoff. So you kind of take that year with a grain of salt. But James Franklin has really done a a pretty good job since taking over as head coach in 2014, and so I do want to spend some time talking about James and his background. So to start his coaching career, in 1995, he was the wide receiver coach at Cookstown University of Pennsylvania. And then 1996, he coached the secondary at his alma mater, which was East Stroudsburg University, and he had previously played quarterback there. And then 1997, he was the wide receivers coach at James Madison, and then 1998, coached tight ends at Washington State, and he also earned his master's degree there in educational leadership in 1999. So bouncing around a little bit, but not surprising because life as a coach, you're always on the road, you're always working your way up throughout the ranks, so you're going to be bouncing through many programs. In 2000, he went east to the University of Maryland, coaching their wide receivers. And so at this point, it feels like he's starting to find his rhythm as an offensive coach. Usually in doing our research with these guys, it seems like you go down the road of being a defensive coach or an offensive coach. A lot of the time, especially nowadays, it's such an offensive heavy league, offensive heavy game. There's an emphasis on the offensive side of the ball. But you look at a guy like Nick Saban, even though he's adjusted his team and his program to have offensive stars, he's a defensive guy at heart. And so it's interesting to see the come up of these coaches and who their mentors are or 
where they coached at or what assistant coach they were kind of led them down their path of offensive or defensive. So he's coaching the wide receivers for Maryland. And while he's finding his rhythm here, his duties actually expanded in 2003 to include the recruiting coordinator position. And this wasn't enough to keep James here, even though he did start to build himself into a top recruiter, especially in that Baltimore, Maryland, and Washington, D.C. areas. In 2005, James actually left Maryland to coach wide receivers for the Green Bay Packers. So overall, I mean, 10 years of coaching at this point, and he's all of a sudden in the NFL. That's not a short amount of time, but a lot of these guys, it takes much longer. Everyone's path is different. It just seems like James really hit his stride becoming the coach at Maryland and then being able to recruit at such a high level. It almost kind of propelled him forward a little bit quicker than maybe some other coaches. He ended up only staying in the NFL with Green Bay for one year before heading to Kansas State in 2006 to become their quarterback's coach and offensive coordinator. He stayed for another season in 2007, and then he actually returned back to Maryland in 2008 as their offensive coordinator and assistant head coach position. And he was also essentially the quote-unquote head coach in waiting, which was a big reason why he was kind of brought back. They were grooming him to be the next head coach at their university. But this ultimately didn't end up working out, and then James left to become the head coach at Vanderbilt. And Vanderbilt is where James really started to make the name for himself, and it's ultimately the reason why he got the Penn State job. And we'll get into his success there in a second. But for this position at Vanderbilt, James really wasn't the front runner. And some of the other candidates were Al Golden, which was the coach at Temple, and Larry Coker, who was currently coaching at UTSA after leaving Miami previously. So clearly it didn't work out for either of these two candidates. So then Vanderbilt said, okay, fine, we're going to offer this position to the Auburn offensive coordinator, Gus Malzahn, who turned it down. And as we know, Gus went on to become the head coach at Auburn and won a national championship with Cam Newton in the 2010 season. That was a good stay for him, and he recognized that he may have been kind of the coach in waiting for Auburn, essentially, at that point. I guess I don't think it really made sense for Gus to leave, and I think he realized that himself, and he was able to have some sort of success at Auburn at the very least. But after Gus turned down this position, Vanderbilt started to hone in on James Franklin. And then in December 2010, James was officially announced as head coach. And this is when me personally, I first started hearing about James Franklin because Vanderbilt is just bottom of the barrel in the SEC. It is a very difficult position to be essentially the worst team in the best conference. And that's what the SEC is. All the talent is in the SEC. The best high school players are in the SEC. Most of the best coaching is in the SEC. And when you're stuck at the bottom, not only are you not a hot spot or an attractive spot for good coaches or good players, you just kind of are stuck in the mud at that program. So James really had his work cut out for himself. But he was actually very successful. He led them to a bowl game appearance in each of his three seasons with Vanderbilt. And so I took a look at all three seasons starting in 2011. They defeated Cincinnati in the Liberty Bowl going 6-6, six and six, which is respectable. You're not going to be mad about your first-time head coach winning six games and losing six games in his first year in the hardest conference. That's totally fine. In 2012, they actually checked off a lot of boxes and actually accomplished quite a bit here. First of all, they had a 9-4 and four overall record, which is actually very good. 
and they ranked in the final AP poll top 25 for the first time since 1948, so another milestone to check off. This was also Vanderbilt's third nine-win season in school history. At one point throughout that season, they had four straight wins in SEC play, and ultimately this was the first nine-win season since 1915, so it wasn't like they just had some success. They have been really struggling for a long time. In 2013, they defeated Houston in the BBCA Compass Bowl. They also won nine games in this season as well. And so total, we're looking at 24 wins in the James Franklin tenure with Vanderbilt, which was the highest total in the school's history over a span of three seasons. And this really is not an easy thing to do, especially when you're trying to build up any program, but we've already talked about how hard it is to win in the SEC and compete. But like that 2012 season, winning four straight games in conference play is very important. So at this point in time, Vanderbilt is really probably the best they've ever been. And if you're Vanderbilt and you're that you're the athletic director, you want to do whatever you can to keep James Franklin because this is essentially as good as it, it could get for your program. As great as it would be not only for Vanderbilt, but for even college football in general to see a smaller program, not even rise to be a power. We'd be a little generous if we said that, but just to be successful or at least competitive you know have some ranked wins appear in the top 25 etc it's just not realistic and that's the hard truth especially for a coach like James Franklin does anybody think that he's set with his end goal oh Vanderbilt no I'm comfortable here I mean no he wants to continue to work his way up we've seen the history we've talked about how he's bounced through teams continue to work his way through multiple roles the end goal is to be a head coach at a big time school and then in January of 2014, Penn State officially announced James Franklin as their head football coach. Disappointing, for sure, for Vanderbilt, and you understand that. They're still back in the mud. They're having a hard time even to this day. But he was their most successful college football coach in their modern-day history of a program. He was only there for a handful of years. So they can't have anything to say other than nice things and be thankful for James Franklin. And it's also crazy how he was like their third or fourth option in terms of bringing in a head coach. And he was as successful as he could have been at Vanderbilt. So credit to Vanderbilt for finding him and ultimately deciding on him, but also credit to James Franklin for building up that program from nothing to some bowl wins. Very impressive. It's hard to believe that he's already entering what is eighth or ninth season with the Nittany Lions. Most tenures don't seem to last this long, but Penn State is happy with what James has done with that program, and I think James is happy with Penn State. I know there were some brief rumors that he was of interest on the USC side. I don't think James was really that interested in taking the USC head coaching position, but I think USC was interested in James. Ultimately, we saw where USC's main interest was, and essentially just grabbing Lincoln Riley in the middle of the night after their loss to Oklahoma State last season. They're happy with that get. But I thought James would at least look at or think about the USC job because James has that vibrant personality. He's a recruiter and he's personable. And when you look at a USC, USC is not just a football program. It's LA. It's Hollywood. So with what comes with being a football coach is obviously you got to be able to recruit. James Franklin can do that at a very high level. you got to be able to win. We've seen him win games and compete against some of the best teams like Ohio State and the Big Ten Conference. But also you have to be able to relate off the field, and that's what USC is. I don't say 
that Lincoln Riley doesn't have that Hollywood personality. I think he'll be fine. I think he's a pretty good fit for USC. I just think that James Franklin, I don't know. He seems like an extrovert. He seems very outgoing. I think it would have been a good fit in USC. And with how talent-rich Southern California is, I feel like he could have really related well to those recruits and possibly built something up at USC. But hey, we'll never know. And we get to see some more Ohio State-Penn State battles for years to come. So, in regards to the 2021 season, Penn State did get off to a good start. So, they started off 5-0 and after beating ranked teams, Wisconsin and Auburn. Auburn, that was a huge win for them. I think that was their whiteout game. The SEC team finally comes north, comes rolling in. That was a good game. That was just a good win for Penn State. I think they reached number four in the AP poll, heading into their game against number three, Iowa, at the time. And they were at Iowa, so they were on the road. But their quarterback, Sean Clifford, who has a history of being injured, got hurt in this game and was replaced by young and inexperienced quarterback Taquan Robertson in the middle of the second quarter. And his inexperience was pretty evident here, with Penn State really struggling to gain any momentum of any sort on offense. It was actually really bad. They managed to throw, not even throw, they just managed 50 yards on 46 plays for the rest of the game, which is absolutely nothing. And Penn State had actually jumped out to a 17-3 lead in that game, even after a couple of interceptions thrown by Sean Clifford before he got hurt. Iowa was also struggling to do anything on offense in that game as well. But their quarterback, Spencer Petrus, finally hit a 44-yard touchdown pass that put Iowa ahead of Penn State with six minutes left in the fourth quarter. And that ultimately proved to be the game-winning score. And I think everybody felt that. In a normal game against an opponent that is at least somewhat competent with moving the ball or has at least some threat to score, if you throw the go-ahead touchdown pass with six minutes left, not only is that enough time for them to put together a drive and score, that's enough time for them to put together a drive, that's enough time for you to put together a drive, and then possibly another drive. In this case, Iowa finally scores, they finally hit a big play on offense. With how bad Penn State's offense was at that point in the game, that was essentially it. They could have stopped the game right there, as far as I'm concerned. And clearly, Penn State didn't have their backup ready. He's a young guy. But in today's game, we've seen quarterbacks get hurt, especially someone like Sean Clifford. The backup has got to be ready. And I understand he's not taking first-team reps, but it just seemed like he was not ready at all. And that is a little bit on, not even a little bit, a lot of it on the Penn State coaching staff, he should have been a little more ready in case he was thrusted into action. So Penn State loses this game. And at this point, it's it's going okay because we talked about the 2020 season, the COVID weird year. They were just really bad. And now they started 5-0. and You lose this game, you're 5-1. and Nothing to panic. Did anybody think they're going to go undefeated? No, I didn't think so. So you're going to see losses along the way. Unfortunately, it just went completely downhill from here. I think they lost to Illinois the following week. That was a crazy game. I think it went into like nine overtimes or something. They also lost to Ohio State and just ultimately lost four out of their next six games to finish the year seven and six, just barely above 500. So we've talked about that game against Iowa and how bad the offense was. I do want to spend some time on this side of the ball. And as a team for Penn State, they averaged 25.3 points per game, which frankly does not cut it in today's world of college football. 
especially in the Big Ten, which has Ohio State, who I get it is an outlier because they are an offensive juggernaut. And the Big Ten is also really widely regarded as not the best conference in football. That's the SEC, but the second best. And you got to be able to compete with Ohio State. You got to be able to compete with Michigan, Michigan State when those programs are on upswing. And also Wisconsin, they always feel like they're towards the top as well. So it's not going to be a walk in the park for Penn State. 25.3 points per game is not going to cut it in the Big Ten. We took a look at their average yards per game. That was at 376, a little bit low here as well. And that broke down to an average of 268 yards passing and 107 rushing yards per game. And again, I don't want to harp on this too much, but it's just important because the modern day game of college football is an offensive game. You could look at 2010, 2011, 2012. It was a defensive game. You could get by with 25.3 points per game. It was also an era where you're looking at guys where you can run the ball and that's of importance. 2009 even, Alabama's running back Mark Ingram won the Heisman Trophy. Running the ball in defense would win you games in 2009, 2010, 11, 12, etc. Over time, we've now seen this transition to a pass-heavy offensive spread. And it's not that you don't play defense anymore, you just can't stop anybody from scoring. So 376 yards per game and 25 points per game is not going to cut in the Big Ten. They were led by quarterback Sean Clifford, who now returns for his final year of eligibility. He threw for 3,100 yards, 21 touchdowns, and 8 interceptions last year. So a very average season for, quite frankly, a very average quarterback. It's also a guy who we've talked about his injuries against Iowa. We've talked about how he's just consistently banged up. And he, he's not their savior. They have the five-star kid that we'll get into later. I just don't think he's going to win you a big-time game. Is he going to beat Ohio State? I don't think so. Or even a Michigan, if Michigan is, is able to find a way to continue this upswing that they're on and maybe compete for future Big Ten championships and not just have last year be a one-off year, I, I just think Penn State has to move on from Sean Clifford. And they are, and they know that they do. But it's good to have that experience, I guess, so you'll take him. But he's just a very average quarterback that has an injury history. So he returns to Penn State for his final collegiate season. I think this might be his final season of football in his career. I don't think he's good enough to make it into the NFL, and I, he won't be drafted. I don't know if he could make it in the XFL or like the Arena Football League or one of those other professional leagues. I'm not saying he couldn't. I, I just don't know where his head is at in terms of his future football career. I just I'm fairly confident that's not going to be in the NFL. As a quarterback, he, he does seem to have some sort of natural leadership qualities that a lot of these guys seem to have as a quarterback. So I could see him actually becoming a coach, or maybe he starts going down the road of becoming an, an assistant coach for Penn State soon after the conclusion of his football career to be determined for Sean Clifford's future. So now I'm asking myself this question, what does Penn State need to do to revamp this offense? Because we went over the numbers. It's not good enough. Okay, so I don't know. How about step one? You get a five-star quarterback, and you can check that off. And they got Drew Aller. He's a big-time guy out of Ohio in the class of 2022. He's 6'4", 230, and he's a five-star quarterback. And he can really sling it. We watched some tape, and he is exactly the quarterback that Penn State wanted, and they got him. 
Now he's out of Ohio. I think people like to think, so Ohio State didn't want him. And it's like, well, I don't think they really did. Ohio State's quarterback room is absolutely stacked. They just got another five-star commit for the class of 2024. Even after the departure of another five-star quarterback, Quinn Ewers, who transferred to Texas, their quarterback room is stacked. They can't take every kid. And for them, they honed in on Dylan Riola. They got him for 2024. And they're pretty much set at quarterback. And so just because it's a five-star kid in the state of Ohio, yes, Ohio State wants to hone in on Ohio and pretty much lock down that state. For the most part, they have. You're not going to be able to get every five-star out of that state, especially when it comes to quarterbacks, because that room is stacked. Even if somehow they pushed for him and they they somehow got Drew Aller to be a Buckeye, he would probably end up leaving with how fluid the transfer portal and the NIL rules are right now. I don't imagine he would sit there in a room with you know, four other scholarship quarterbacks and possibly wait his turn to start in like his junior or senior year. Not the case. So this is a good choice for Drew and a really good find and get for Penn State. When you're revamping your offense, it starts with your quarterback. You get a big-time guy, and now it changes things. And Penn State in general, they have decent skill players, and they seem to land a star at running back or wide receiver every couple years, most notably being running back Saquon Barkley and wide receiver Jahan Dotson, both of whom have been drafted into the NFL, and both of whom have had good plays and good games against Ohio State, which is ultimately the team Penn State is chasing. So with your five-star quarterback, Drew Aller, you give this guy weapons, you give him some sort of skill players, especially if you can get another star at running back or star at wide receiver. Combine that with the fact that Penn State usually already has a pretty stout defense from having previous guys like linebacker Micah Pearsons. Penn State can be dangerous, and they can be right back in the running to win the big time with Ohio State in Michigan. So we're going to switch gears to the defensive side of the ball. And Penn State's always been pretty stout defensively, and they've had previous linebackers to help lock down their defense. And you could even look at that Iowa game we referred to last year. And now Iowa's offense is not stellar by any means. I don't trust them to move the ball really against anybody. But their offense really couldn't move the ball at all at times against Penn State. And then even when Penn State played Ohio State, Ohio State had obviously their high-flying offense with C.J. Stroud and their wide receivers, but they also had true freshman running back Travion Henderson, who's a stud, and he had been hitting big-time home runs almost every game. They locked him down for most of the first half, and even in the red zone, Ohio State's offense just struggled and kind of hit a speed bump. And that's just credit to Penn State's defense and just being stout and really, really tightening up and becoming very tough to score on, especially in the red zone. So the defense is not something I'm concerned with moving forward. Good news for Nittany Lions fans. I think they have five key defensive players returning on that side of the ball. And one of their key contributors that is coming back, I think it's one of their cornerbacks, Jair Brown who I think he led the Big Ten in interceptions in 2021. And then with what could be their next great linebacker, Curtis Jacobs is a guy that people like. He seems to be an, an athletic back who will be moved to maybe the strong side linebacker this season. But defensively, I don't think there's a lot to be concerned about. It's really that offense that Penn State has to continue building, and they're doing that with their quarterback. So speaking of 
the future of the program. We're going to spend some time talking about what that looks like and some of their recruiting, starting it off with Penn State pulling in the sixth-ranked class nationally this year per 24-7 sports. So that's a pretty good get. And in addition to Drew Aller, they got a five-star running back, Nick Singleton, out of Reading, Pennsylvania, which is also a big get. And not only because he's a five-star skilled position player, but because he is a hometown kid out of the state of Pennsylvania. This was one of James Franklin's huge goals as a recruiter, is making sure to lock down the state of Pennsylvania. And while the talent in PA isn't how the talent is in the South or maybe a Florida or a Texas, there is notable talent in that area on the East Coast and in the Northeast along the lights of New Jersey, etc. as well, Maryland. So if James can continue to lock down this region, and maybe even the Northeast in general, he can continue to pull in players that can help them continue to keep up with the program that they're chasing, which is Ohio State. In addition to the two five-stars that they got, they also pulled in a four-star wide receiver out of Ohio, a four-star running back out of Florida, IMG Academy, and a four-star tight end out of Wisconsin, four-star Dean Lineman out of Florida, and a four-star offensive tackle out of Scranton, PA. So overall, pretty good class, and if I'm Penn State, I am happy being in the top 10 if, with my recruiting class. So Penn State, at this point, has a chance to re-solidify themselves in the Big Ten. It's been a while since they last won the Big Ten Championship. We talked about that 2016 win. They beat Wisconsin that year. It felt like they were on that upswing, and maybe we can see them compete more with Ohio State. They just had those games in 2017 and 2018 where they lost each game by one point. And I think I watched James Franklin's news conf- or press conferences after those games. He talked about how just Ohio State is a great program, and they're just like a step above Penn State at that point. And Penn State has some really good players and some really good coaches. They should have won those games in 2017-2018. Ohio State had to pull together these crazy comebacks in the fourth quarter to win both those games. But it's not unrealistic to say that Penn State could have hit a three-peat on Ohio State 2016, 2017, 2018. They have the talent to do it, especially with this kid, Drew Aller. If they can really develop him into what he's supposed to be, being a five-star kid, they could really be dangerous moving forward. Ohio State is still the king of the Big Ten. Even though Michigan is kind of right behind them, I know they beat them last year. Ohio State is still up top. We'll see if Michigan can do it again. Michigan State was in the running a little bit last year before losing a couple games. Wisconsin's always trying to poke the bear a little bit. Penn State's got to figure out the offense, figure out their quarterback. Their defense will be fine, and I think we'll see them back to national relevance in no time. Okay, so that will conclude this week's episode of SE. We're going to give you a quick look ahead into what our plan is for the rest of the summer. We are going to continue to release these type of episodes and exposure pods throughout the year and throughout the summer until we hit July 31st. Once we hit that Sunday, we're really going to be digging into our top 25 and these big time non-conference matchups that we're going to see early on in the 2022 football season so up until then that's going to come back quick we'll keep bringing you exposure pods you can find us on our social medias on tiktok facebook and instagram at sideline exposure and you can find us on twitter at sideline expose thank you for listening and we'll see you guys next week